0: So um, I want to say a couple of things before I start, really, and kind of uh, show a video as well, which will kind of give you an idea of where we're going. But the, um, the first thing I kind of wanted to say, because the essential thing of what I'm sharing from the Word this morning will be around a bit of an equipping thing, around sharing our faith and evangelism and some of the context for that. And uh, Richard asked me to do that, so I kind of do what I'm told, really, because I'm obedient like that. Um, but I kind of wanted to flag something up, really, just in terms of this, just in terms of sensing the spiritual temperature, because some of you may have clicked on this, and some of you may have not. But a little while ago, Richard came back uh, from Uganda, which is there now. I would say we'd kind of pray for him now, but it's about quarter past two in the afternoon. Uh, they might well just about have finished their church service, it being Africa, They might not have done. I don't know. They might still be going on. You know, Africa is Africa. The clock is kind of irrelevant, really, when you're in church. You know, you just, what happens, happens. And kind of, you know, you you don't monitor your morning service by the clock. It's more you look at your diary. Um, But he may well be having lunch. But I don't know if you noticed, but when Richard came literally direct from the airport and taught there was something definably more significant in his anointing. And I'm saying that not to kind of, now, I'm not saying that just to big up Richard or just to kind of, but it's important as a group of people that we don't just kind of like, oh, that was good this morning. But we register something in terms of what God is doing amongst us in terms of a gear change. Because if you're driving a car and you need to change gear, you register a gear change. It's important. I drive an automatic, but I can tell when it changes down and when it changes up. And I can override it if I think I need to change down or change up. And sometimes in terms of grasping what God is doing with us as a group of people, it's important to note that. And... Can I just ask, and I'm not going to do too many shows of hands this morning. Has anybody else noticed that Richard has got more anointing lately? Yeah? There are some of you. He has. He's got more anointing. Yeah, he was always good. I'm not saying it's kind of like, hooray, Richard's got an anointing. But I think we need to mark that because he's part of us. And we're invested in him. And if God is doing something in him, he's doing something in us, and we're moving up a gear. And it's important to note, we are moving up a gear. It may not look like it when you look at your own life and you look round. And the reason I'm saying that is because it is important that we register what is happening in the changes in the seasons and in the changes of pace. Because there are times of the year when you don't plant things. But there are times when you do, you take note of the seasons, and it's important spiritually that we take note of the seasons. So please, can I flag that up, continue to pray for Richard, continue to pray as he leads us, and continue to pray for increasing anointing on him, but then also an increasing anointing on us, because God is leading us into something slightly quicker paced at the moment. And i just got to throw that out there, because sometimes we need to register a change in temperature, or a change of season, or a change of gear. And sometimes you might not notice it. You might, not write, you might just write it off as something else. So I just kind of mention that. The other thing I just want to kind of quickly mention is i discovered something during the week. Those of you who know me well these days will know that I've reached a certain age and I've come to a certain point in my life and i had a conversation with Richard the other day where I said to be honest, I'm I'm a little bit just conferenced out, really, you know, been to a load, you know, kind of nothing really hugely grabs my attention and then kind of I saw that King's Arms in Bedford have got Randy Clark for the day on March the tenth doing a healing school and I booked into it within ten minutes. Those of you who know me well that will know that is probably a little more a bit more of a miracle than Liverpool beating Tottenham. So but Randy Clark, for those of you who don't know, back in 1994, Randy Clark turned up at a small church at the end of the airport in Toronto and uh, conducted a series of meetings at which the fire of God fell. And not just that church, but the world felt the impact of it. Now, I'm not talking about some other kind of weirder and more wonderful things that people had to go about. But those of us who've been around for a few years and lived through 1994, 1995, 1996 will be able to tell you that we saw lives impacted, people set free of things that had had held them for years. We saw people saved, we saw people healed in a degree that we had not seen before and we probably only dreamed of. We saw things happen in front of us that we'd read in the journals of John Wesley, and suddenly we read them in a different way. We saw things happen in front of us in a way that we'd seen in the Acts of the Apostles that we'd probably not seen before. And I thought, whoa, Bedford have got Randy Clark coming, I'm in. So March the 10th, it is a Monday. If any of you feel like taking the day off, I am going, I have booked in. And I just do that because, I mean, the King's Arms are good guys, and they're rather excited about the fact that they've got Randy Clark coming and doing a one-day healing school. I know that some of you are a little bit exercised in pressing into more of God to see God heal. And to be honest with you, you could do far worse than to book into that. So I'm just kind of commending that to you. Sorry? 10th of March. Uh, you have to look it up on the web, um, www.kingsarms.org, I think. But if you search Proclaim Healing School King's Arms Bedford on Google, you'll get there. So uh, it is filling up quite quick, I think. So I just kind of encourage you. Um, it is 65 quid, but trust me, I think that would be 65 quid well spent. So there you go. Um, and before I finally get to reading the word, and so this, I, I think some of these things are kind of quite important just by way of communication. But um, those of us who've been around for a while, and kind of it's quite funny, you kind of think youth are off to Catalyst and thinking, yeah, I'm no longer a youth. <laughs> that went a long, long time ago. Uh, but you know, kind of one of the benefits of having lived a while is that you've seen some stuff. and. I can remember going back many, many years ago when I was a teenager in the Christian Union at school. There were some Baptists there. There were a few people who were kind of in what was then known as kind of house churches. There weren't many Anglicans. And to be honest, in my town, there were a couple of lively Anglican churches, if that. By the time I went to university in 1980 or whatever it was, And Leeds was a big city, probably about a million people by the time you take in the metropolitan areas. Again, there were some lively Baptist churches, there were some new churches, there were other denominations, but there weren't, you could probably count the number of lively, either evangelical or spirit filled Anglican churches on one hand. It's interesting when you look at our nation now, that has changed significantly. Going back a number of years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury probably wasn't even saved. Seriously, I'm I'm not joking. Um, and some of you will remember that. That actually, you know, actually, for some of us in some church, we, we, we kind of thought it was it was a bit of a sign that God had finished with denominations and that kind of God's hand was off the Anglicans. Oh, how we were wrong. But, um, yeah, we thought we were prophetic. Yeah, What did we know? And I wanted to show show you a little bit of a video this morning. I'm hoping it will work. I tried to download it and gloriously failed. But if Dan's technological expertise is up to the mark, which I believe it is, we should have a little bit of a video coming up now. And I would love you to watch it. Some of you may well have seen it, but watch it and be blessed. There's a lot
1: about this job that stops you getting too self-important. I remember being at some event, one of my colleagues heard someone in the crowd whisper, isn't that the Archbishop of Canterbury over there? And the person's friend hissed back, no, too short. When I meet Jesus Christ at the judgment, I know one thing. He isn't gonna care what size of Archbishop I was, or I think whether I was an Archbishop. What matters is that I loved him, and sought to follow him, and above all, that I trusted in him alone for my life and my future. Because the most important thing I've ever done is to become a follower of Jesus. I took my first steps with him about 42 years ago. Over those years, he's been a faithful friend, a sovereign Lord, compassionate, forgiving, my ever-present Saviour everything in my life, the heart and foundation of all I am. Through the hardest and most painful times and in the best and most joyful times of my life, Jesus has walked alongside me. He's never left, even when I've wanted him to. When I felt ready to give up hope, he picked me up, and it's his love that has healed me and strengthened me. Following Jesus has been the core point of my life, and that's one reason I want everyone to hear His voice calling to them, and to learn what it is to find His love, His call, His direction, His purpose. That's why I'm pledging to pray for more people to know the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm asking you, along with every Christian community around the world, to join me in pledging to pray as part of Thy Kingdom Come.
2: I know about you, I saw that I was profoundly moved. It gives me hope for our nation that God has given us a man like that who stands up and is prepared to be counted for the cause of Jesus Christ.
0: And quite honestly, and you know, I don't go, I'll be honest with you, I don't go with the religious titles. I don't go with the robes, I don't go with some other kind of formality, but I like a man who stands up and says, I follow Jesus. I like a man who stands up and says, this nation should not go back on its promise to take more refugee children. I like a man who stands up and is counted for the gospel and for the good news of Jesus Christ. And when he says, I am pledging myself to pray for more people to come to know Jesus, and I'd like you to join with me in doing that. I kind of think, yeah, Justin, I'm with you. And so if you fancy, I, I mean, it's not my position to say, hey, we're going to do that as a church, but there is an opportunity. Um, if you think we ought to perhaps do that, then kind of have a word with Jim or have a word with Richard. But May the, I think it's May the 10th, there's a two-week period where there's an opportunity for you to register as an individual to say, hey, I'd like to pray for more people to come to know Jesus. I'd like to pray with with all the communities of Christians who are standing up to do that in this nation. I'd like to just put myself alongside them. You can sign up. There's there's a website. Just Google Pledge to Pray. It's Pledge, P-L-E-D-G-E, to number two pray. And there's a a website. You can sign
2: up for that. Um, That's basically where I'm going this morning. Because I think we all want more people to come to know Jesus. Really? That's what we're about. I know we're down on numbers
0: this morning because various people are in different places, but actually, wouldn't it be good to just see more people? Just in terms of people coming to know Jesus? Because we all came to know Jesus. Some of us came because of circumstances in our life. Some of us came, we'd lived a little before we came to know Jesus. Some of us were brought up in households where we were encouraged to know Jesus. And actually, it's not the one is better than the other. I mean, I used to go to meetings and kind of think, oh, if only I had a testimony like that, you know, kind of some people you hear they were saved out of this, they were saved out of that, they were saved out of the other. And you kind of think, God, you know, why couldn't I have had an interesting testimony like that? But, you know, I, I look at my kids and I'm quite grateful that they didn't have to get saved out of this, that, and the other and that we brought them up in a godly home and that they haven't had to kind of unlearn a lot of the things that we had to unlearn. And if I can give a little bit of an encouragement to the parents amongst us, that actually God's desire is not that your kids have to kind of relearn all the lessons that you learned and kind of go astray for a while or do whatever it is, but from the place that you are, you provide a platform for them to go on to pursue greater things in God and to see better things, and to see more substantial things in God than you ever saw. And that's part of our brief as parents. I just kind of want to throw that in there. That's one for free. Um, I'm going to read a scripture, and I'm going to make a couple of comments on it, and then quite honestly, kind of I'm just going to ask us to pray, and I'm going to see where God goes after that. It says this, Acts 17, if any of you want to follow, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. is Acts 17 verse 16. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and com- imagination of man. That in, ty- in times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you so much for the lessons from your word. We just pray that as we spend a little bit of time together, just looking at your word, you would stir our hearts and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that the word of the year, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, is post-truth, that no longer is substantive fact relevant, no longer is absolute truth relevant, but it's whatever makes you feel good. It's whatever you can stick alongside a picture on the internet with a clever phrase, that is obviously truth. The number of people who've got wound up recently by things on the internet that aren't even actually true. And you see stuff going on in the presidential campaign in America, where just because somebody puts something up on Facebook or on the internet, it's considered true. And it's not. Even some of the presidential officials are quoting stuff as true. And it's not. Mind you having said that, the other side are also putting stuff out as true. And it's not. It seems these days that as long as you put an interesting picture up with a quote on the internet, people think it's true. Probably more so if it's a picture of a fluffy kitten. But we've got into that stage where fact-checking has kind of gone by the board. We want to know the new thing. And we kind of think, well, this is Athens in the first century, It's very, very different to us. and Actually, it's not that much different, really. You've got people who they want to know the latest new thing, and they spend their time talking about the new ideas, and what's new, and what's this, and what's that. And you find that in our society. People are very interested in the new thing. You'll find it very much now being debated in all aspects of Christianity. What's new? What can we do here? What can we do there? Is that really true anymore? And we've been somehow touched by the spirit of the age where post-truth has actually been absorbed into the way that a lot of believers think and the way that a lot of believers feel. And actually, sometimes people are rating what they feel more than what the Word of God says. You don't need to look very, very far to find that. But you find that in the world as well. People are very, very nervous. There is a very, very shifting political situation that we face both home and overseas in the very, very broad context. People are nervous about Putin. People are nervous about Trump. People are nervous about Brexit. People are nervous about a lot of things. You don't need to look very, very far to find that the people that you live near, the people that you work with, are actually very, very nervous and disturbed about world events. And that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. They might be very angry. They might be just very, very frightened. But they're very, very concerned because these are shifting times. Now, I have to say that that shouldn't necessarily take us by surprise because God has said to us that he is shaking all things that can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken can remain. The problem is sometimes is that the church and what Christians believe is getting shaken along with it. And that becomes a problem and that becomes an issue because we need our faith built on a solid rock. We need our faith built on a solid foundation because otherwise we're blown here and we're blown there By every changing wind of doctrine. So somebody puts up a video on Facebook and somebody puts an article about, I don't believe in this anymore. And suddenly people get blown over here thinking like, whoa, I don't believe in this anymore. And then suddenly somebody puts up another article. It's like, oh, well, perhaps let's get blown over here and, whoa, no, 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 let's let's reject that after all because we need to be relevant to a post-truth society. And actually, people aren't going to come to us unless we abandon this kind of teaching or we abandon these kind of ideas. No, let's go over here. And so we're getting people who are blown hither and thither and people who are eager for the next new thing. And people are eager for the next new thing in our society, and they're also eager for the next new thing in the church. And then you have Paul being faced here by the Epicureans and the Stoics, and I'm not going to spend the morning going into a philosophy lecture for you, but basically the Epicureans didn't tend to believe in God, and they believed that Their motto would be, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That Let's give ourselves, because there is futility in life, let's give ourselves the pursuit of pleasure. So their motto would be, enjoy life. And you'll find a lot of people, that's their philosophy in our society today. You know, they'll put nice comments on Facebook and on Twitter, and they'll make comments like, oh, so you still have an imaginary friend, do you? You know, I I gave up believing in the tooth fairy and fail the Christmas. What are you doing still believing in God? You know, let's just kind of enjoy life for what it is. And you kind of think, all, all you are is an Epicurean. And then there are the Stoics. They're not named after a particular person. They're named after the fact that their original teacher's taught from the porch. Uh, it's interesting that the first two major leaders of the Stoics committed suicide because they were so depressed at life. Because whereas the Epicureans would say, enjoy life, the Stoics would say, you have to endure life. And they would say, well, actually, God is in everything, and if there is a God, God is, God is in all, and God is all, and everything is part of God, and kind of, and you get that out there. How many people have you met lately that say, well, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual? There's a lot of them about. Of course, you know, because I, I don't believe, because, you know, it's like we're all part of God and God is part of all of us. and kind of Listen, the philosopher said, there is nothing new under the sun. The book of Ecclesiastes is very relevant. He taught a lot about seasons. But he said this, nothing new under the sun. There are no new seasons. Heresies, just new packaging of very old ones. Do not get sucked in by them. So this is the context into which Paul comes. It's, an, it's a city which is brimming full of ideas, culturally thinks itself the epitome of elegance and expertise, and in comes Paul. And he sees idols. These aren't just statues like we've got Elgar down at the bottom of the town centre, which people seem to think the main use of the statue of Edgard. Elgar is to stick traffic cones on his head. But uh, this is a slightly different thing. These are statues of what the Greeks perceived to be gods and heroes, and they were to be worshipped. In fact, some wit in the first century said it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. There were, they, they estimated, I think Pliny estimated, there were something like 30,000 different altars, statues of gods in Athens. Because they wanted to cover all of their bases. They, they had lots of idols, lots of altars. And to make sure that they hadn't offended some god that they hadn't put one up to, they even covered all their bases by putting up the occasional one to, to an unknown god because they didn't want to annoy a God they didn't know about. And Paul came into this context, and it says that his heart was disturbed. It says that he was stirred in his spirit, and we probably would be. There are things that we see in our society, there are things that happen, and there's things that kind of, they get to us, you know? We feel it in here somewhere, I think that's just not right. And sometimes we need to speak out about those things. Other times we need to just catch what the season is and what God's doing. But Paul goes about his business and he teaches in the synagogue. He teaches in the marketplace. And then he finds himself hauled before the council on Mars Hill. Now, he's not under arrest. It's not like um, the same thing that happened to Socrates. That's as philosophical as I get. If you want to know that, look it up but they want to know what he's preaching, what he's saying. Now, in that context, I would suggest that Athens in the first century isn't 100 yards removed from the United Kingdom in the 21st century. It's actually very, very similar. And they've heard that Paul is talking about new ideas. They think he's talking about foreign gods because he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. They think they're two separate gods. Who is this Jesus? Who is this resurrection? So Paul comes to give an account. Now, I'd like us to note just a couple of things about this, and then I'm going to wind up and I'm going to ask us to pray. First thing I'd like us to note, and this is important to note in life and in
2: evangelism, and the first thing is this, God is sovereign. Put it another way, God Is in control. We may not
0: always think that. We may sometimes be taken in by signs of the times. In fact, somebody else put it another way. They said, God is large and in charge. If you want a kind of an easy definition of the uh, sovereignty of God, God is large and in charge. CH Spurgeon said this. I like Spurgeon. He said this, I do not come into this pulpit hoping that perhaps somebody will, of their own free will, return to Christ. My hope lies in another quarter. I hope that my master will lay hold of some of them and say, you are mine, and you shall be mine. I claim you for myself. My hope arises from the freeness of grace and not from the freedom of the will." And I think sometimes we have let ourselves get sucked in to the perhaps distortion that human will and free will counts for more in the face of God sometimes than God's sovereign choice. And actually I think the Apostle Paul is an interesting example of that because if you were to have the Apostle Paul in your circle of friends, you probably wouldn't put him at the top of, I think God is at work in his life list. Because if you looked at Saul of Tarsus, breathing murderous threats against Christians, locking them up, persecuting them, wanting them dead, you probably wouldn't think,
2: that's a man that God's got his hand on. However, you find that Saul was there minding the coats when Stephen
0: was stoned. And if you look at what Paul's Preach to the Areopagus, there are shades of Stephen in there. There are elements of Stephen's preach before he was stoned, saying, The most high does not live in the temple made by hands. He is not created. He's and that's just pure Stephen. Something got through to Paul on that day as he witnessed the anointing of a man who knew and loved Jesus. Never underestimate the impact of your life on those around you, even when you're under the most strenuous circumstances. Because who you are communicates something more substantial than anything that you will ever say. But then what you say can also impact substantially because it arises from who you are and the deep work that God has done within you. Until one day, Saul was on his way to Damascus with orders from the chief priest in his hand, and suddenly he had the original Damascus Road experience. You see, so much so that that's entered into our language. We talk about a Damascus Road experience. But what was happening here was Saul was on his way to lock up and kill Christians. And suddenly, his companions hadn't got a clue what was going on. They could just see bright light. They could hear something, but it sounded like thunder. They didn't know what on earth it was. Paul, on the one hand, had a one-to-one
2: encounter with Jesus saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then the next thing he knows, he can't see at all. There's a believer In Damascus, he's just
0: getting up, he's going through his everyday with Jesus, quiet time Bible notes, and Jesus says to him, I want you to go to this house and lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. And the conversation probably goes something like, no, 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 (laughs) I think you've got it wrong, Saul of Tarsus, no, 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 he's the one who goes around persecuting Christians, no, no, no. I don't want to go and lay hands on him, He's, he's not one of us, he's violently opposed to us. He says, no, 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 go to the house of Simon, go here, go lay hands on him, and he's my chosen instrument for the Gentiles. Can you imagine being given that gig? It's kind of like Jesus has just appeared in the room and said, go and lay hands on this bloke. And you kind of think, oh, dear. But someone was faithful. Now, all he went, Now we don't hear any more of what he got up to, other than that he went along and said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to lay hands on you. Suddenly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he got up and he was baptized. And then went on and did marvelous exploits and wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. Now, we don't know what one act of obedience would lead on to. And it may be just as simple as, go and lay hands on that person. And sometimes, we kind of underestimate what faithfulness brings and what obedience brings. But sometimes God just wants us to go and do something, even as simple as just go and give that person a hug. Go and give that person, just lay hands on them and pray for them. We don't know sometimes how significant that
2: is. But we need to note how significant it is that God is in charge. God is sovereign. And it says that he is sovereign
0: because he created all things. From one person he he made every race of men. Now, I have to say I am reading more and more of People that I've known over the years who are saying, well, actually, we believe these days that Genesis is more of a myth, that God didn't actually create Adam and Eve. There's a lot of that going around, that we're becoming a little bit more, well, of course, we're saying that science is believing that. I have to say that Jesus in Matthew's gospel, when he said, have you not read that it says he made them male And female and then the Apostle Paul stands up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and says from one man he made every race of men. Paul was not getting blown here and there on every wind of doctrine but was saying God is sovereign and his sovereignty derives from the right of he made first of all he is God But secondly, he created all things.
2: You make it, you own it. End of. There is no challenge to God's sovereignty
0: on the basis of he made it, he owns it. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing by the word of his power And more than that, he sustains it by the word of his power. Now, that should give us confidence that God is able to do everything that he promised. Now, it may well be that you feel that you're responding to a word that Martin brought this morning where you're confused, you're ill, you're in significant debt, any of the other things that Martin mentioned. God is large and in charge. God is able to do far more than all you, you ask or expect or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. If that is you, I would encourage you, please, at the end of this talk, take your courage in both hands and go over to Martin, who is in the lime green hoodie. And just bless you for wearing that. Greater love hath no man than this, that he wears that colour hoodie for his friends. But I'm sorry, that's going to get me into trouble with somebody. But, I just don't but anyway, please go and get Martin, and Martin will have a couple of friends that he'll call on. I suspect one of them might be me, and we'll we'll, we'll pray for you. So, and I, but within the context of life as well as evangelism, God is sovereign. God does not make mistakes. You see, the thing is, if we put so much emphasis on free will, we tend to, i tell you what this will do. When life gets hard, you will doubt the choice that you made in following Jesus. And you will think, well, perhaps it was because I was emotional. Perhaps it was because of this. Perhaps it was because of that. Well, okay, I prayed that prayer, On the basis of what that preacher said or on the basis of reading that book. But did God really hear me and did God really accept me? And actually now I'm feeling this and now this is happening to me. And that is happening to me. And did I really qualify? Did God really accept me? Because you're basing everything on the freedom of your will and your choice. Whereas actually, I think the emphasis of Scripture is much more on the emphasis of, I have chosen you. You are mine, not because you decided, but because I chose you. And nothing can take away from the choice of a sovereign God to say, I want you in my family, because I want you as my child, because I have decided to love you until the end of the world, no matter what you did previously, and no matter what you will ever do, I chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in my sight, and I sent my son to die for you, that you could be free and righteous and blameless, I chose you you didn't chose me I chose you the only reason you decided to respond was because I put my spirit in your heart and something suddenly illuminated and thought man I need to get right with God because until that point you didn't even know you were lost you didn't even know you needed a savior until God impacted you and suddenly it's like whoa I need to get right with God I would suggest that puts a whole different emphasis on our evangelism. God is in charge. God has chosen people. Let's get a little
2: bit attuned to finding who God is working with and do what we see the Father doing. That's a challenge, but it's one that's worthwhile taking up.
0: The other brief thing I want to mention is actually the gospel is eternal. It's unchanging, but you can contextualize the way that you communicate it. When Paul shared in the synagogues, he would prove from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, because that is how the Jews needed to hear the gospel. They needed to have it proved from the Old Testament That Jesus was the Christ. It doesn't say what he was doing when he was gathering people in the marketplace. We know that on other occasions when Paul communicated the gospel, he told his story. Now, you will have a story of how Jesus encountered you and how your faith became real. No one, not even a smart ass on Twitter in 140 characters, making a comment about having an imaginary friend or still believing in the tooth fairy can take that away from you because it is your story of God's dealing in your life. Now, no one can ever take away, and I I like the fact of kind of Alex mentioning about the lady who's sick for two years translates
2: into, what language was it? Jopper. I didn't even know there was a language called Joppa. Now,
0: I was going stir-crazy after 12 days in hospital. I don't know what I'd be doing after two years. My linguistic skills are such that I would not be translating anything into any other language. Trust me. However, sometimes God deals with you in different seasons of life. Now, it is interesting. One of my little favorite stories is a number of years ago. And this isn't how I came to know Jesus, but several years ago I had bronchitis. Uh, It seemed to be that whenever I'd kind of stop working for a holiday, I'd take time off, I'd get ill. And one of the guys in the church I was then in prayed for us to have a holiday, which was a bit of a pressure in a number of ways because I was self-employed. You think, that's great, I've got to get time off because then I won't earn any money and I'm not particularly feeling well at the moment. Great. And um, Rachel was out. With the kids walking along the canal and this boat came chugging along the canal. Some of you may have heard this story. And I'm gonna tell it, and I'm gonna tell it for a reason. And um, they saw this boat go through the locks and they stopped and watched it. And bearing in mind, canal boats don't go very fast. They kind of walked up and then they asked, Would you like to kind of help us undo the lock and all that kind of stuff? And then they said, Do you want to come on for a ride? And during the course of the conversation, The guy said to Rachel, so what do you do? She said, I'm trained to be a a teacher. And she said, what does your husband do? He said, he leads a church. She said, interesting. He said, we're Christians. God said to us,
2: as we saw you there, her husband's a pastor. She's a teacher. Give them the boat for a holiday. Now, that's interesting.
0: Now, no amount of 140 character smart-ass comments can take that away from me. Now, that isn't how I came to know Jesus, but that tells me something. God loves me enough that even when I don't believe that he's taking care of me, he takes care of me. And some of you need to hear that today, that even those circumstances are against you, and the fact that I might be standing up here saying, I'm going to talk about evangelism, and you might think, yeah, but that's all very well, but quite honestly, I'm just trying to keep body and soul together right now and reaching out to other people, that's the last thing on my mind. And it's kind of like, yeah, one of the two people said, yeah, kind of God must have a purpose in you going into hospital. I thought, yes, it's to get well. It's to rest. You know, kind of reaching out to other people is actually the last thing on my mind. I read half an article, I go to sleep. That's how tired I get. So, you know, kind of some of you are here today and you're thinking you're going to talk to us about evangelism. Great. You want to see life from where I'm standing. I'm here today to say actually, Jesus has seen life from where you're standing. He passionately cares about you and he wants to provide for you in the depth of your circumstances. Because the thing is, in order to. Some of you are standing there thinking, man, that's, a, that's, that's quite a story. About you getting a free holiday, that never happens to me. Let me tell you what has to happen to you in order to get a story like that. One, you have to be ill, and two, you have to be broke. That might not have occurred to you, but you have to be in. Well, you don't necessarily have to be ill, but I was ill and skint. Hello? That might not be very, very fashionable to admit to, But sometimes God allows you to be ill and skint. Why? That you might experience his love. Quite why that is about, I don't
2: know, but God is sovereign. I think I've just about reached the end of what I've got to say, quite honestly.